Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's open today's show with a tiny bit of trivia. My name is Ben, and I was actually born in Nashville. My name is Noel, and I have been to Nashville once, but my driver's license was expired, so I didn't get to go to any of the sweet honky-tonks. Oh, that's a shame. You know, we should go uh, to Nashville together. We should take a road trip. It's a pretty swell place. You'd like it. No, I, I like the street. I, I bought a hot dog. Um, <laughs> all my friends went to Robert's Western World, which is apparently the spot where all of the grizzled Nashville session guys just show up at two in the afternoon and mm-hmm. play till three in the morning, just like you do. And mm-hmm. I really felt like I missed out on something. But I'll tell you what I did not miss out on, Ben. What's that? I recently returned from a work trip to Los Angeles where I happened to Upon a little place called the Museum of Death. Oh, yes, you went? I did go. You, you refused did, to tell me you know, I about refused. this off air. And I'm not going to talk too much about this, but they do not allow photos for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite grisly, quite upsetting. Uh, and they had a whole section with uh, funereal artifacts, um, embalming tools, and and they had a quite impressive collection of coffins. Mm. Um, and I only bring this up because today we're talking about digging up bodies. That's, mm. That is the base level for my segue. Right. So for everybody wondering, Ben, why are you giving us personal information about Nashville? Noel, why are you telling us about uh, coffinry? It's it's because those two things do have uh, an alarming and we think fascinating uh, connection point here in today's episode. If you visit the Tennessee state capitol in Nashville, you'll see President Andrew Johnson, who's got sort of this 
windswept thing, kind of prefiguring Clairol herbal essences commercials. A bit of a Fabio look, if we're being honest. And then you have the other Andrew. Uh, that would be Jackson sitting astride his trusty steed in a rearing back kind of pose, uh, looking a little bit windswept himself, but with a little bit more of an edge to him. A little panache. I believe he's tipping his hat. Here's the thing, folks. Neither of those presidents are actually buried at the Tennessee state capitol, uh, but those statues are so prominent that they've become local landmarks and – there's another important thing because it turns out they overshadow another president. That's right. Poor James K. Polk, the U.S.'s 11th president, who along with his wife, Sarah, are currently buried on those grounds of the Tennessee state capitol in a very modest – compared to the giant sweeping statues, uh, a modest structure – um, that is kind of flanked by these columns, and it was actually designed by the same architect that designed the U.S. state capitol mm-hmm. in kind of a Greek style. And as we record today's episode, it turns out that Sarah and James may not be located there much longer. You see there's a movement to disinter or exhume the Polk couple and move them about 50 miles away to their family's historic home, which is actually in a town called Columbia. Very close to Murfreesboro, if I'm not mistaken. Is is the R silent in Murfreesboro? I've always, I've always kind of been winging it. Yeah. Uh, we got some, we got some great pronunciation emails earlier, I believe, in the show. So help us out this time, folks. Murfreesboro versus Mur- Murphy's. Murfreesboro. Yeah. Yeah. That is the question. But Columbia is, in fact, a, a pretty small town near Murfreesboro that is largely known for its yearly mule festival. I'm a big fan of festivals, man, and it's time that the mule finally got its due. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more than just a, a little horse, right, Ben? I mean, I don't Just because it's a relatively small species doesn't mean it's not a big deal. Technically, a mule is the offspring of a male donkey and a female horse. So it's a different species. That's interesting. Only mentioning this uh, to show that, you know, Columbia – um, charming place to live, I'm sure. But Broadway, it's not. Broadway, it is not. Not not a whole lot of uh, tourist attractions for this city. And I think there are some that hope that might change with the movement uh, to move said president's uh, remains. Right. So Polk was uh, born in North Carolina in 1795, but his family did eventually move to the Tennessee frontier where his father built a home there in Columbia in 1816. And because he lived there for several years as uh, as a youth, as an adolescent, uh, the home now serves as the James K. Polk Museum. And this happens very often here in the United States. I don't know whether it's the case in other countries, but in our neck of the global woods, a famous or historically influential person just has to spend time in a location for it to become, you know, their ancestral home or their museum. It doesn't have to be the place where Mark Twain or Edgar Allan Poe was born necessarily. Uh, It could be the home where... Mark Twain lived or Samuel Clemens lived in, I think, Springfield, Connecticut. You know, he wasn't a kid there. 
That's that's where he lived and lost a bunch of money betting on terrible inventions. Yeesh. But let's let's get not get too ahead of ourselves. What was Polk known for, Ben? He he was only one term president, but accomplished a, a pretty obscene amount of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He did some great stuff. I want to open with his nicknames though, because <laughs> I think they're hilarious. Uh Every president has a bunch of nicknames, and just a, just a few of James Knox Polk's nicknames would be Napoleon of the Stump and Young Hickory. And the reason he was Young Hickory <laughs> mm-hmm. was because when he was Speaker of the House, really trumpeted uh, his mentor, Andrew Jackson's policies. Uh, and that informed a lot of what he would accomplish as president in terms of really pushing hard for this manifest destiny idea mm-hmm. of expanding the United States borders um, to the Pacific. But we will get into that shortly. That was one of the accomplishments. Mm-hmm. But Old Hickory – was Andrew Jackson's nickname. Right. And so that was the, he was his boy, Lil Hickory. Mm-hmm. Or young, young Hickory. Yeah, he was definitely a protege. So Polk had actually been a lawyer, and while he was in law school, he clerked for the state senate. Um, and then in 1823, got elected to the Tennessee House of Representatives and was reelected a whopping six times where he eventually became the speaker. And that's when he was able to really champion Andrew Jackson's various political positions and got that nickname, Young Hickory. <laughs> um, he actually went on to become Tennessee's ninth governor. And in 1844, he became president of the the United States. He was 49 years old, which sounds, you know, like a pretty cool batting average now. But at the time, he was the youngest candidate ever to become president. So there's a there's a star, gold star for him. Definitely he, young Hickory. Totally young Hickory for days. He also reestablished the Treasury system, which was kind of a precursor to what we have today under the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. He created the Naval Academy and legislation that he signed actually established the creation of the Smith. Smithsonian Institution, which is responsible for preserving artifacts and American culture. And it is free to visit. Additionally, let's see, what's the best way to say this? During his administration, the very first U.S. postage stamp was issued, which is still a big deal today for philatelists in the crowd. Ben, did you just pull that word right off the top of your dome? Sort of, but I didn't make it up. It is the fancy word for stamp collectors. See, I should have guessed that, but that is a a weird one for me. Voluminist is the fancy word for matchbook collectors. I am full of cartoonishly specific words, but we are talking about specific and historically significant actions by the 11th president. And there's the real big one that we hinted at earlier with this whole idea of manifest destiny, which was the notion that the U.S. should basically – Colonize other places. And right. uh, during the Mexican-American War, James K. Polk pushed pretty damn hard to make that happen and had some success, didn't he? Yes, he did. He was instrumental in expanding the territory of the United States by more than 800,000 square miles, mm. which means it goes all the way. This this is where it became a uh, – Sea to shining sea country. Yeah, in 1836, Texas, which was at the time ruled by Mexico, uh, was given independence and it was not initially incorporated into the Union. And this became an issue after that and continuous raids by the Mexican government. And then in 1844, when Polk was elected, he pushed really hard to re-annex Texas, which is kind of what set off this conflict. What does that mean again, Ben? Uh, This would mean that the territory 
at hand becomes part of the United States, property of it. So, for instance, if the U.S. today were to annex uh, Baja California or if Baja California were to annex California, right, then what that would mean is the this territory would become the property of the governing state. Annexation is typically not a move that everyone agrees with, right? So if our super producer, Casey Pegram, and you and I are each three state actors who are neighbors and two of us decide to split up the other one's property and annex it, it's pretty much a declaration of war. Exactly. And also part of the reason that there was some issue with making Texas part of the union was that lawmakers did not want another slave state. Um, mm-hmm. And then there were these, you know, uh, occasional raids, border raids by the Mexican government. But like we said, when Polk was elected, he threw all that aside and reannexation procedures began mm-hmm. and this set off the war. And ultimately, long story short, uh, we won. And, and we got a whole bunch of land as a result. And that all happened under the watch of James K. Polk during his very short presidency. Which was a purposeful presidency. You see, he was a one-term president by design. That was part of his campaign platform. And unlike many, 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 many other state uh, leaders or politicians in general, he kept his word. And after four years in the White House – uh, he returned to Tennessee. We do want to make a note here that the Mexican-American War and indeed all wars are um, tragic things. This was not this was not necessarily a position where there were clear cut good or bad guys oh, no. and the United States and, and many, many uh, organizations commanded by the United States did horrific things. Yeah, and I mean, and the American military vastly outnumbered the Mexican forces. It yeah. was sort of a, you know, shooting fish in a barrel kind of situation. Not an equal playing field. No. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. 
The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what happened after Polk left the presidency? Uh, he died. That's right. He did pass away as people are unfortunately want to do. He died on June 15th, 1849, so not long after he served his term as president, uh, and he passed away in Nashville, Tennessee. He did, and it's actually super interesting because he passed away after contracting cholera. And at the time, there had been a massive cholera outbreak in Nashville such that there was a city ordinance that required any cholera victims be buried in the local municipal cemetery. Mm, okay, right. So don't even have their bodies around for, say, a yeah. family ceremony right. or something. And so Polk's first burial place was very specifically tied to these conditions that it was just they had to do it. They put him there with everyone else who had suffered from this disease. And uh, his after his uh, post-presidency of 103 days – the shortest of any president who did not die in office. Uh, I believe it was it was about a year after, isn't that right, Noel? Where they his body was dug up and moved after the the first burial. That's right. It was dug up and moved to Polk Place, which mm -hmm. sounds like a uh, uh, a square on Monopoly or a place where they would sell poke bowls. Okay, here's a pitch. Here's a pitch. Just let me know what you think. A James K. Polk themed. Poke bowl restaurant. See, I I have issue with poke versus poke, and I know you've made your line in the sand that it is poke, and I have said that to people who have looked at me askance. So, <laughs> folks, what do you think? We're talking about raw fish in a bowl with rice and deliciousness. Mm -hmm. Is it poke or poke? Right mm -hmm. in. What do y'all think? Noel, if your problem with this persists, then don't worry. I've still got us covered. I've got a backup plan. It's a uh, poke bowl place that's Pokemon themed. That's easy. Love you could serve it in a Pokeball. Right. And you can collect the bowls. Love it. All right. But but uh Polk Place, it turns out, is different. That is the that is the property where 
James K. Polk was intending to establish his legacy. He wanted to be buried there. He wanted kids to grow up there. He wanted it to remain the seat of the Polk estate. Yeah, and this was the true kind of ancestral home of the Polk family. After Polk died, his wife Sarah continued to live at Polk Place for 42 years until she died. Um, but here's where the plot thickens and things start to get really interesting. Polk actually drew up his will a mere five months before he passed away. And in it, he used some very specific language. He was, after all, a lawyer um, mm-hmm. that said that his and his wife's remains should be buried at Polk Place. And that after he and his wife died, the property should be held in trust by the state and that there should always be a blood relative living there. And there were a number of heirs and they waited. They bided their time. But not direct heirs. Not direct heirs. I think uh, because of a a childhood malady, he had Mm. kidney stones really bad. Uh He had an operation that rendered him sterile. Right. He did not have any direct issue. But there were a number of heirs who, as I was saying, bided their time uh, for decades waiting for Sarah Polk to expire. And then they filed lawsuits arguing that this will was a, uh, you know, a burlap sack full of baloney for legal purposes. The court ruled in their favor and the court said that the will violated the common law rule against perpetuities, things that limit an owner's ability to leave property to unborn future generations. I guess Polk might have been a crackerjack one-term president, but not that great of a lawyer maybe? And who knows, you know, if he were – That's that's the thing about wills. You're not around to defend it in person. Right. You know, so it, he, he very well may have been able to defend his position. But unfortunately, with everyone who really had a stake in that perspective gone, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. He had to just depend on the language as he'd written it. So Polk Place was sold and torn down, right? And today there's a boutique hotel on the property. Yeah, apparently initially um, they were trying to turn it into the governor's mansion there mm-hmm. in Nashville, mm-hmm. but that did not pass muster. And then um, they it, it was scooped up by a developer. Uh, I think it was an apartment for a while, and then it was it's the boutique hotel today. And that initial developer, his name was Craig McClanahan. Um, he apparently donated part of the the property to be turned into a Carnegie Library. And according to uh, Tennessee Magazine, an article written by Bill Carey, um, who talks a good bit about this debacle moving moving Polk's remains, um, he says all of this was done just to appease Nashville residents who might have been irritated that this this <laughs> fat cat developer swooped in and, you know, crushed their their history. Which, unfortunately, is a tale as old as American time, if we're ticking on the capitalist clock, right? Developers come in and change things, and it's tough to decide what should be kept historic and what becomes ephemeral and what has a strip mall or a mixed-use development in the future. We're in an interesting spot where we sit here now, Ben. Uh, we're in a place called Pont City Market that is a historic building. It used to be City Hall. Before that, in the, what, uh, 40s, I want to say? Mm-hmm. It was in Sears and Roebuck's mm-hmm. uh, shipping and receiving center. Right by the train line. Right by the train line, what they call the Beltline now. And 
to this day, we, it's basically kind of a bougie mall. Uh, and we have our studios here, which we love. It's, it's a neat spot, but it has that interesting give and take between history, preserving history and, uh, progress and Ooh. bougie malls. And here's a great example. Uh, listeners, you may find this interesting. Even before there were buildings here, this road is named Ponce de Leon. This building is named Ponce City Market because it's on a road called Ponce de Leon, which is relatively famous here in the U.S. It's named that because people used to drive outside of the city proper when it was a dirt road to find the curative springs that were uh, said to uh, be panaceas for what all ails you. Mm -hmm. And they named this street Ponce de Leon as just a blatant marketing thing to have it associated with the Fountain of Youth, famously searched for by Ponce de Leon himself. Totally. And now when you drink from the water fountains at Ponce City Market, you are granted eternal life. True story. Right, right. Well, you're on the eternal life plan, which I believe is uh, starts at $10 a month. I need an eternal life coach. <laughs> That's a good one, too. Uh, seriously, though, the water does come from those same springs. That's why there's that big system. There's a the reservoir. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, or reservoir. Uh, so back to Polk. On September 19th, 1893, James K. Polk's body was moved again. This time it was moved to the Capitol where our story began with the statues of Jackson and Johnson, uh, and he was buried alongside of his wife. And we talked a little bit earlier about how there's a little bit of a kerfuffle about this potential choice to move them um, to – I'd say huge kerfuffle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably downplaying a little bit. And a lot of that has to do with the idea that the folks in Columbia are just pushing for this because it would be – uh, a tourist destination because we talked earlier about how at the Tennessee State Capitol, Polk's grave is largely dwarfed by these, you know, really ostentatious sculptures of potentially more well-known presidents, Andrew sure. Jackson and Andrew Johnson. Not necessarily more important. Not necessarily more important at all. And again, the whole connection is interesting how Jackson was old hickory and mm. uh, and uh, Polk was little hickory. I'm sorry, it's not little hickory. It was young hickory. Young hickory. Young hickory. Um, and and he's dwarfed in, in other ways than that. Mm-hmm. Jackson is buried also in Tennessee, at his estate called the Hermitage, which is a hugely popular tourist destination. And, you know, why wouldn't the folks in Columbia want to uh, get a little piece of that sweet, sweet tourist action? Right. Yeah. According to Bill Carey, a researcher and writer who focuses on this region, the reinterment of President and Mrs. Polk is one of the most disrespectful deeds ever committed by the state of Tennessee. The second one. <laughs> What's that? No, the second reinterment, right? I'm yeah. asking. Yeah, oh, like, yeah, yeah. The first yeah. one, cholera, you know, cholera right, right. graveyard. Second one, family homestead. Then yeah. when they tour it, that's the gross one. And then <laughs> that's the real get to one. the capital. Yes. Yeah. And so we're seeing, yeah, that's a great distinction because we are seeing collectively this, um, this grab for money. It, it seems as if, you know, as, as Noel said earlier, that to the opponents of uh, the Columbia move from the capital to Columbia, this seems as though it is little more than a blatant grab for authenticity and tourism dollars, right? Or we're, we're not particularly honoring the wishes of this former president because the former president wanted to be interred in a place that has been torn down, right? We're not necessarily honoring the wishes of the – Man himself, uh, the woman herself, 
because they wanted to be interred at Polk Place, which was torn down for development purposes. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This move, this idea of moving from the capital to Columbia has no small amount of critics, including Bill Carey, but also Carol Van West, who is the state historian there of Nashville. She said when Polk left the White House, he came home to Nashville. His wife stayed there for decades. Afterwards, there's no reason to move them, essentially. Except there's an argument on the other side too, right? Because mm-hmm. you've got this guy, Tom Price, who's the curator of this place we're talking about now, the James K. Polk uh, home and museum in right. Columbia, Tennessee, which was the home that his father built and that he later purchased. And, you know, Mr. Price 
argues that it's not about tourism dollars, that it's about doing the best job possible given conditions to honor the language in that will because he wanted to be buried at home. This is the closest thing you got. So it's like the spirit of the law if we cannot adhere to the letter, right? Exactly. Eh, I don't know. What do you think? I I am on the fence because he does acknowledge that it's difficult to get students to tour the home because Andrew Jackson's hermitage is so close right, by. Exactly. Right. So like again, in life dwarfed also in death. Um, and it's interesting because the uh, Tennessee lawmaker, State Senator Joey Hensley, who sponsored this bill that we're talking about that would um, disinter these remains and move them to this Polk house in Columbia, is quoted as saying this. I honestly served up here in the Tennessee state capitol for 14 years and had never seen Polk's grave. Uh, he told this to the New York Times. It's not handicap accessible. It's not really talked about much when they do do the Capitol tour uh, and not many people visit it. It's just not a very good place to honor his legacy. So all kidding aside, I, I can see both sides, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point because if they're not including it when they're doing the tour, if it's not easy to get to, usually – for anyone who's been on an historical tour before, what happens is you become inundated with information. And so you're, you're not, most people are not very likely to go above and beyond what the tour guide tells them to look at. And this brought us to a, a very interesting question, which is what does it take to disinter uh, the corpse of a president if we just decided, hey, we're not doing anything with the next few years. Let's pick up a new hobby. Uh, it, it turns out it's not too easy. You have to have the approval of the governor, the state house of representatives, a local judge from the area. And in the case of Tennessee, the volunteer state, you have to have the approval of the Tennessee Historical Commission. You have to have a lot of a lot of different moving pieces work together in unison. About a week after the Senate bill passed, the Tennessee Historical Commission had come out against the plan to exhume James K. Polk and said that moving the graves would create a false sense of history at the Holman Museum in Columbia. Even given all of that red tape you have to get through to make this happen, and I'm not sure if this has always been the case in exactly the way that you laid out, but there are several historical precedents for exhuming presidential oh, yeah. remains. And, and three it, times is not even close. Not even close, man. In 1858, uh, James Monroe, who was our fifth president, was exhumed and relocated from New York to his home state in Virginia. And then we've got this one that is just an absolute doozy. How many times, Ben, do you think Abraham Lincoln's body was moved? I know. Do you want me to pretend yeah, you guys? Yeah, I don't know. You can just say it. Okay. 17 times so far. So far. <laughs> That's that the whole... thing. With Abraham Lincoln, I feel like we have to add so far every time we mention that statistic. Just let the man rest. Mm -hmm. And that is indeed, that is the presidential record for the amount of posthumous moves per president. Uh, and in the case of Lincoln, these all occurred within the bounds of Springfield, Illinois. What is that even about? Yeah. And I found this. It was, it's on a discussion board, uh, Lincoln Assassination Forum, from a man named Roger Norton. I can't speak to Mr. Norton's credentials, but he does have uh, an example or a little account of every single time Lincoln's remains were moved. And one of them 
reads as such. November 7th, 1876, in an attempt to kidnap Lincoln's body and hold it for ransom, ghouls partially dismantle the sarcophagus and slide Lincoln's coffin halfway out. The conspiracy is foiled, however, and the kidnappers escape, leaving Lincoln's body behind. Lincoln also, uh, in a way that reminds me of our earlier episodes involving Winston Churchill, Lincoln also felt that he experienced precognitive dreams. But he never, as far as we know in the historical record, he never said, guys, they're going to move my body 17 times. But that's a weird prediction for people to make. At this point, only time will tell if James and Sarah Polk are going to be disinterred and reinterred a fourth time. And we want we want to hear your opinion on this. Is it a matter of historical accuracy? Is it a matter of disrespect? Is it a matter of doing our best as the living to adhere to the wishes of those who have passed? Totally. And in this Polk house and museum now, a lot of the furniture from the raised ancestral Polk home is on display, you know, in sort of like a place out of time kind of uh, pastiche. So mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a fascinating place to go. Do you need to dig up the guy's bones right. and move them? I mean, I, this all depends on your view, I guess, of historical uh, completionism, I guess. I don't know, right? Right. Like, uh, is it, I don't know. Can't they just put up a plaque? It just seems like an awful b- big to do. Right. And then it, it also goes into. Well, we could argue that it goes into the spiritual beliefs of the people when they were alive, you know, because there there are some people who find it tremendously offensive to be moved around. And then there are some people who would say – there were some people who would say like Lenin style, just, just preserve me and keep me on display, right? And as it turns out, we have an update to this story. Um, so the, the resolution that called for the movement of President Polk and his wife's remains was passed by the state Senate in Tennessee in March of 2017. But it was put on hold until later this year. So the state House will not actually vote on it until sometime this year when we do not know as the uh, gears of law tend to grind pretty slow, but we'll keep an eye on this one. So will there be an update in the future? Will there still be momentum for this legislation or will it fall to the wayside? Unfortunately, as so much legislation often does, uh, there's only one way to tell. Well, there are several ways to tell. They all depend on time. And we hope uh, that your favorite way to tell will be tuning in to another episode of Ridiculous History. In the meantime, I'd like to add this Polk quotation toward the end of our episode here because I think it's an interesting contrast. One of his more famous quotations was the following. I cannot, whilst President of the United States, descend to enter into a newspaper controversy. Okay. Bold words from President James K. Polk. Well, he did say while president, and he's not currently president. That's fair. But now it seems a controversy has sprang up in his wake. He was really trying to uh, just be super chill and under the radar, especially when he, you know, invaded Mexico. He said some other stuff I like, too. He said, thank God under our Constitution, there was no connection between church and state. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Had no idea that would turn controversial again, did you, Mm. President Polk? Mm. Mm -hmm. 
And it's funny because he has kind of a, uh, a pale kind of milk toast kind of look to him. Something almost puritanical. Pure, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I could see him uh, wanting to be uncontroversial. And some of the stuff that we're talking about, especially like the whole, you know, Mexican-American war and Manifest Destiny and all that. And, you know, we like California, but not the most uh, popular political stance these days, right? Let's just go take, uh, uh, you know, from beyond our borders. Oh, yeah. And, Noel, what do you think about this quotation? The world has nothing to fear from military ambition in our government. Uh, I don't know about that one either. <laughs> Let us know what your favorite James K. Polk quote is. And hey, who, any historical figure, send us quotes. We'll read them on the air. We'll have a new section in the show called Quote Corner. I, I'm just spitballing here. You can put corner behind anything and it can be a segment. But write to us. We are ridiculous at HowStuffWorks.com. You can also find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, where we are Ridiculous History. And check us out on iTunes uh, and leave us a review. Apple Podcast, rather. Excuse me. Uh, we appreciate it. And that kind of helps uh, the discoverability of the show go up. Or anywhere else you listen to podcasts, just, just write us a note if you dig the show. We really appreciate it. And perhaps not most importantly, but let's put it in the top five there. A James K. Polk-themed Poke Bowl place or a Pokemon-themed Poke Bowl place? Let us know. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.